Alright, welcome aboard. This is Comparing Apples to Oranges. I'm Mike. I'm Dan. And we uh, have a great episode for you today where we're going to take two things that are in the same category that don't belong in the same genre and compare them using a special set of criteria for this episode. Then we will determine which one is better. Uh, Dan, great to talk to you again. How are you doing over there? I'm hanging in there. Nice. We are, you know, living the dream in the world of COVID. Dude, whenever. This- this is going to come out in May, May 15th. Can you Oh, imagine? by then we will have beaten it. Literally, into submission. We flattened the curve. We're going to be like the end of that movie Contagion when they like take the vaccine and put it in like a special freezer part and then the scientist walks away and you're just like credits. Nice. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, uh, on the on the 14th month anniversary of 2 weeks to flatten the curve. Hey man. Uh it was we are, Dan and I are recording, uh, a little peek behind the curtain, this is uh, mid-March, um, tomorrow will be the anniversary of the last day uh, we did anything, and it was with you and Jess, and we went to the comic book shop, oh, yeah, and then, I remember that. Uh, we saw your dad and his band play, mm-hmm. and the place, uh, Satchmo's, um, and I remember it because it was, uh, St. Louis Day was 314, which is our area code here, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and... That was the last thing we did. <laughs> yep. Pour one yep. out for Satchmos. They're still... Did they have to fold because they broke so many laws? Or... <laughs> I think they're still in existence, but I think they're struggling because they 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 wouldn't adapt. They they held firm on wanting to run business as usual. <laughs> Endanger the lives of their patrons <laughs> and employees. Yeah. So uh, apparently when you do that, bad things happen as far as like licenses and and things like that but uh you know lesson learned yeah next their food their food sucks anyway my god you really like their dessert though the gooey butter cake is uh is pretty good their pizza is not awful their pizza is like a like a like a good frozen pizza yeah that's what i said uh, yeah not awful (laughs) you like not like a two dollar frozen pizza but like a five dollar frozen pizza yeah, when you when you're like, hey, we're eating good tonight. Yeah, we're eating uh, Mama Lucia's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is the one of the probably one of the last episodes we will be recording um, where we're ever we've, lo- we've lost ever. our minds. Uh, yeah. We still probably do the the virtual thing just because it's so much easier. Um, no offense, Dan, uh, but we took a look at. Um, the past today, we took, we took a, a stroll down memory lane, um, a simpler time, as you can, as you can see from the title of the episode, we looked at, uh, staying alive, um, just gonna let that breathe for a second, and then Weekend at Bernie's 2, uh, these two movies, uh, are sequels, Dan, are, when you hear a movie is getting a sequel, what kind of questions do you ask yourself? Uh, number one, did it warrant a sequel? Uh, number one was the, I guess, did the first one set it up to where it, it made the, the crowd want to see more of these characters or more, uh, an expansion of the story? Um, you know, a lot of times I... I, I get excited about a sequel, but 
you know, the thing I wonder is that can it be, I get excited because I like the original so much and I wonder, can it hold up to the original or can it even surpass the original? And probably 95% of the time it doesn't, you know, there's, there's examples like I would say Terminator 2, absolutely, uh, The Godfather 2. Yeah, for sure. You know there are there are some uh, examples. I would uh, what was the uh, the the second X Men movie? Yeah, um, I thought was United even better than the first United? one. Yeah. It? Okay. Yeah, I thought that one was even better than the first one. So, you know, but th- those are kind of outliers. You know, I. I Exceptions Usually that prove I, the rule. Yeah, I often get excited for sequels because it, you know, it it's kind of neat to to have characters that are already established, and then you kind of can just go right into the story. Uh, the Dark Knight is another one, yeah. uh, the second of the, the Batman Begins movies. You know, we already got the origin out of the way. We go right into the action, and you know, it, and that movie opens up with like the bank, the really cool Joker yeah. uh, bank robbery scene. Right. And we're and we're and then we're off and running, and so that's there's something to be said for for sequels because you know we, as a culture, I think, are comfortable with familiarity, you right. know, uh, and I mean, I mean that goes back all all the way to like you know systemic things like uh, like racism, yeah, man. you know, we don't like things that are different. We're comfortable with things that we know already, and I think that there's something probably inside of us that kind of uh you know uh attracts us to to sequels in that way i think that touches on yeah philosophically speaking that that kind of nails it yeah um, we're getting into some deep shit here man i mean that's but that's the whole nature of like people always complain about like oh you know they hollywood can't come up with another idea mm-hmm. they're just doing remakes they're doing uh, and they're doing sequels. Those are, you know, the sort of thing. And um, whenever we talk about Hollywood since like 2008, uh, everything's always comic book movies. Um, yep. Like just because it's such a juggernaut, you know, it's the elephant in the room. You can't talk about movies if you don't talk about Marvel. And that's the whole big thing with like when um, your boy uh, Scorsese like said he's not a fan everybody mm-hmm. acted like that's a big deal it's like no, no it's not who cares like uh but like the it sort of seems like people are upset for the wrong reasons like the reason things get sequels is because uh like the studios think that they'll make more money right um but like if you go back to you know the like when people would write books uh you know like the odyssey's technically the sequel uh, in, in a lot of ways that's like the first sequel in western canon you know and like mm-hmm. the whole thing is it takes a minor character from the first book and sort of like uh spends the whole episode with them and i think that that's what people look forward to in sequels it's like you said you don't have to relearn um you don't have to be reintroduced uh it's sort of and i think the godfather part two you did a great job of bringing that up because that that does two things it pushes the story forward which so many people like um with the characters they like like if they're interested in a character that they find fascinating they're like i want to spend more time with them right um yeah you've already you've already developed a a relationship 
with these characters, and you've already developed uh, a connection and emotions for these characters, the ones that you love, the ones that you hate, the ones that you feel bad for. And you and all that emotional work is, is out of the way, and you can just go right into enjoying the movie. And I think that a good sequel will do, they'll develop sort of like, not necessarily prequel stuff, but they will go deeper into the history and also push them forward. So it's sort of, a good sequel will sort of build up why the first movie was good and why and sort of makes it better too i think um, yeah like if they do drill, a good job drill down into the the mythos a little bit of the the characters in the story and i think you do uh you you bring up a good point that the majority of sequels sort of lack something because they can't recapture the magic and i think that's sort of a studio problem where like they, they just try and redo the first movie just like in larger font so much of the time um i'm gonna show my cards i think that mortal kombat 2 annihilation is better than the original because it just takes everything and amps it up to crazy like they're like hey you remember when we had goro that guy with four arms and that was weird and everyone's like yeah we're like we're gonna have two robots in this movie <laughs> and then somebody's we're gonna have a guy who's half minotaur you're like because you if you play the games you know that it's you know it's insane and like all this stuff and the they're like hey well you were along for the ride when we asked you to suspend your disbelief the first time so i don't know why you would see this movie if you thought we were going to play it straight again like we're going to take it up to a different level because we think we feel safe with you as an audience um and i think that's what good sequels will do i think whenever a sequel doesn't want to push you know the story to a more exciting or a crazier place like i think that was the whole issue with die hard 2 not being as good die harder is because it was the exact same premise where it was john versus like an authority figure and it was terrorists versus john and and it's a closed environment like it's just a bigger building effectively like it's an mm -hmm. airport instead of a building and that's the wrong what way about to... us what about speed to cruise control <laughs> you know i i distinctly remember the opening scene i don't remember anything else <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing is like how do you do speed to dan do you have two buses do you have a double decker bus i don't know Ooh. no you do a big ass boat apparently no, you don't, because that was a flop. And that's, yeah. I think that's what, and, you know, I, I don't know the industry. I just know that the people who demand stuff because they think it's an easy cash grab are the reason that, like, art suffers. Like, I don't I don't blame the person writing it because they're working on a deadline with nothing that makes any goddamn sense. Like, how do you do Speed 2? The whole point is that, like, it's got to be Keanu. Like, mm -hmm. you're, the same guy's not that's not how you know pathology works the guy the crazy guy's not going to do the same thing again on a boat that doesn't make any sense <laughs> like right um, you know and another thing that you know when you think about sequels there there's basically two like tiers of sequels they have one where they say okay well this one was a hit and and sometimes it's like a 
uh, like a lower budget like surprise hit, and right. then they say, okay, well now we're going to give you double or triple the budget for for the next one. That is exactly what happened with Robert Rodriguez, and it's kind of the reason that we know him today uh, because of Lava, you know, Lava Girl, mm-hmm. Shark Boy. But like his movie was so good, they're just like make a sequel, and he's like, I'm just going to make the movie I tried to make, but now with money, <laughs> right? They kind of did the same thing with uh, Deadpool. I think uh, Deadpool was only like a like a sixty million dollar budget or a forty million dollar budget, and I say only because you it's know a superhero, superhero movie. Superhero movies are like over two hundred million dollars with like, budgets. and it's a fan favorite superhero right. movie. So like, why wouldn't you put more money in? But like you said. So, so it's insanely successful, and so the sequel comes out, and they they doubled the budget. The right. bud- budget's all of a sudden one hundred and twenty million dollars. But then you got the other tier of sequels where they say, "Yeah, you, you know, I think we can get a sequel out of this, but we're not willing to risk a high finance. We're not willing to take a high financial risk with it. So we're going to give you half the money to make a sequel, and." Then you really handcuff the the creators in in many ways, uh, you know, not just with like the sometimes they're not able to get back the same actors because they they have half the budget and that that actor has gone on to make other movies and now is a big star who is worth twice as much as he was when you made the first one. And uh, then you end up with like a you know a lesser than sequel or a direct you even got to go direct to streaming or direct yeah. to dvd uh so i it's so it's so weird the the dichotomy between like a a, a sequel two types of sequels you know the oh we're gonna do it double double as big double the explosions double everything you know double the stars and yeah. then you've got the ones where Eh, we just want to get something out there because you know people are familiar with this character. I think if we go low budget, we can make our money back and make a profit, you know, on streaming and DVDs and things like that. And it's not really about furthering the story; it's just about you know the cash grab. So it's uh, it'll be interesting to talk about these two today and in, in the uh, the realm of those two uh, options. I yeah, I 100% agree. I think the sequel as like the second movie in a series, usually of a trilogy, like I'm think I know this doesn't count anymore, but like The Matrix and um Pirates of the Caribbean at a time they were trilogies. And the first one was a smash hit because it was something new, and then the sequel I really liked both sequels because they took the world and they expanded on it like they um in a lot of ways like with the like they had an origin story and then they 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 told the audience okay we're gonna play in this world and i really like that however i think a sequel as part of a trilogy is always hard because they can't have an end to us to their story it's mm-hmm. not it can't be a full arc like you go in knowing that it's not starting at square one and that's okay. So they can start like full action. Like you said with the dark Knight, where they, they start full action um, because you know, the set pieces and uh, they're just letting, you know, they're letting it play out bigger and bigger and louder. Mm-hmm. However, the ending of the movies has to feel like a cliffhanger. 
and for a, a movie to do that, it always feels a little cheap. Um, because so often that third movie is a huge letdown. Because, like, how can you start a movie with so much on their shoulders? I think that was the, the issue with Lord of the Rings and why so many people complained about the third one is because it had, like, 16 endings. It's because, like, you took, like, six hours to tell all these different stories and you have to end them succinctly. And that's really uh -huh. hard to do for an audience um, that's waited so long to watch them. So yeah, I kind of noticed that with uh, like I love the first Back to the Future movie. Okay, I mean I absolutely yeah. Again, love it. It's like a brand new idea in a lot of ways. Right, right. It was, I just absolutely love that movie. Uh, but the second one, you could tell that it was just transitioning to the third movie, which was going right. to finish off the trilogy. Yeah. So the second one was just really, really kind of a letdown. And then the third one was a little better than the second one, but by then you were just kind of, you kind of felt like you had to wrap it up because you had already invested in these characters, yeah. but you just weren't as into it as you were with the first one. Uh, I think, you know, like Empire Strikes Back, you know, we knew that that was going to be left on a cliffhanger because it was always meant to be a three-part Yes. Saga with Return of the Jedi. Although Return of the Jedi ends up giving you a pretty, you know, satisfying ending right. to, to the whole thing. It kind of wraps it up, you know, really nicely. Whether you like the movie as much as, you know, pe a lot of people say the Empire Strikes Back is their favorite mm -hmm. of the of the three. But, you know, it, it does, it flows well, and it, it wraps up succinctly. And I thought that, you know, that's an example where a sequel can be better than the original right while also not really giving you a lot of answers to to anything so that that one is kind of like another outlier yeah. when we talk about sequels i think i think it uh culturally people agree with you for that like that's why people like it so much is because it can it walks that fine line right um speaking of fine and speaking of um, great movies, let's talk a little bit about uh, Staying Alive. Let me just, uh, I'm going to do some Wikipedia dump for you here, Dan. Staying Alive is a 1983 American dance musical film. Does that seem right to you? What what other words would you add when you're talking about this movie? If you're trying to define its genre. Besides um, sequel. Uh, besides garbage? <laughs> Hot take alert. Yeah. Dan, Sorry. I don't have my I don't have my soundboard ready. Sorry, uh, no, I think that sums it up pretty well. Uh, now, the the first Saturday Night Fever. You want me to give you a little uh, little I, uh, s summation of that? I don't want uh, there to be an uproar. I don't want to be. Don't at me. That's a phrase I hear. Don't at. I did not. I have not seen Saturday Night Fever. I feel like a fraud. Okay, go ahead, Dan. Uh, please catch me up on the the cultural touch point that is saturday night fever so uh saturday, first saturday night fever came out in 1977 uh which was kind of toward the the tail end of the the disco craze uh it's the story of john travolta as tony monero uh probably best known for the bg's heavy soundtrack which is the number one selling soundtrack of all time wow uh, despite the big, bright disco scenes and upbeat music, it is a dark, dark, dark film, Michael. It oh. is filled with depression, abortion, 
There's multiple rapes. Oh my god. Uh, suicide. Uh, it is not. If you look at the cover, you're like, oh, it's just good. these dudes going to be out there shaking their groove thing. And does um, he work at a paint store? So yeah, it's like a like a hardware store, okay. kind of like it. Like his dad owns it. Okay. And uh, his dad um, is like losing. Like everybody in there in the movie is struggling. Okay. Uh, his, his dad's like losing uh, his business. His brother goes into the priesthood and then like quits. So like Tony goes from like being like the 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 black sheep of the family to all of a sudden his brother's the black sheep of the family because he quits quits the priesthood. But his mm-hmm. brother is kind of the one who encourages him to, dude, follow your dream because like this was not I didn't follow my dream and now I'm I'm stuck. You mm-hmm. know mid. And uh, if you if the dancing thing is something you want to do, then do it. Uh, John Travolta was actually nominated for best actor for his performance. Holy smokes! And uh, you know, and basically the story is about him. Everybody in the movie is is at a loss for direction. Mm-hmm. You know, in in their life, everybody has something that it's it's. There's really not anybody in the movie that you root for. Yeah, <laughs> there's really. not there's yeah. not really anybody in the movie that um you know has that has a lot of hope right at, you know at times it's really really super dark uh it ended up uh, on a three and a half million dollar budget it has grossed 237 million dollars no way uh it was uh it was an r-rated movie Hot. And uh, and this was back when they the PG thirteen didn't exist, so right. you you went from PG to R, right? Hard R. Uh, and then they uh, they ended up re-releasing the movie uh, as a PG movie. They took out a lot of the language and the rape and <laughs> and things like that because they wanted because the soundtrack had sold so well. They really want kids to watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> John Travolta had been nominated for the for the oscar and they wanted to get more eyeballs on it Mm -hmm. and uh so they made a pg cut of it and they tried to release it in the theaters at the same but apparently there's some rule that you can't have two different ratings for one movie in the theaters at the same time i wonder if that's a porno thing so they had to let the the r-rated edition finish its run and then, like six weeks later, they put the PG version out, which gave it a whole nother audience mm, and a whole nother mm-hmm. stream of revenue. Okay. And it it has be you know the the music in there and you know the 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 move the dance moves and the and the movie itself. Um, you know this the, John Travolta at the time was already kind you know kind of famous because he was on Welcome Back, Cotter. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this movie helped him get the role in Greece. Uh, which came out the next year, and you know he just became a a superstar. Household name after that, yeah, ab- absolutely. And you know he could kind of call his own shot in Hollywood, and that kind of relates into staying alive with what we're talking about because apparently they tried to get John Travolta on board with this movie for several years, and him being a big star, he kind of just didn't want to do it unless he had a lot of input in how the story was going to go. Wow. Um, that is a lot for me to take in. I didn't see any of that coming. Um, okay, so Staying Alive is the title from the 
like one of the most famous BG songs, one of the most famous disco songs, and it's also featured in Saturday Night Fever. Am I right? right. Like right. the the most iconic scene of John Travolta strutting down the street, mm-hmm. and then he goes into the paint shop is to Staying Alive by the Bee Gees from right. Saturday Night Fever, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're like, okay, well, Staying Alive, first of all, that's a that title fits, makes sense, because it's about him struggling now that he's trying to follow his dream in the big city. Um, so on the surface, that makes sense. I want to read this out loud because I think it's hilarious. Anthony Tony Monero, a former disco king, that's a phrase that I did not come up with, <laughs> Acts on his brother's advice and his own dreams of dancing professionally. That's the like, uh, you know, that's the elevator pitch. That's the that's the mm-hmm. the tagline for the the picture of John Travolta like wearing a fancy diaper on stage covered in glitter um, right. on the cover. And, that, and that's the brother uh, from the first movie that left the priesthood that uh, you know convinces him to follow his dreams. And I think that. Uh, what this movie talks about um the subtext of this movie is brothers are important because you know we've got the brothers give the bgs uh their music has inspired these directors who make a story about um you know these these brothers who it sounds like they're kind of at odds within their family because their their parents sort of pit them against each other and life sort of hands them a, a bad hand and then we've got um the next most famous brothers the acting writing, producing, and music duo of Sylvester Stallone and Frank Stallone. <laughs> uh, arguably the the most influential brothers of this movie. Um, I would say definitely for the worst. Uh, so, unlike Saturday Night Fever, Staying Alive was panned by critics and holds a score of, how? what's that, Dan? Zero. I believe it's uh, zero. The, the very rarely achieved 0% on 0% Rotten Tomatoes. On Rotten Tomatoes, which is wild. That's that's hard to do. That's that credit to them because that is, you know, usually you'll find somebody right. that that likes it. Um, uh, important no. here though. Nonetheless, on a budget of twenty-two million dollars in nineteen eighty-three. So what's the, what's that? What's twenty-two million dollars adjusted for today? Is that five hundred billion? Dude, it's got to be. It's got to be at least triple that. Okay. It's got to be, you know, probably yeah. 50, 60 million dollars, which is a lot for a freaking dance movie. <laughs> Except that, like, when you watch the movie, you're like, they paid a, there's a lot of talented extras in this movie. Like, mm-hmm. a lot. Um, so that was the budget, which, according to the amount of money they made on the first one, is like, duh. Like, of course you're going to shell out this for a sequel. They earned one hundred and twenty six million dollars mm-hmm. on this mm-hmm. movie adjusted today for inflation that comes up to about a quarter trillion dollars yeah um that's so insane. they don't care you know no. they that you know they they could say oh yeah you hated the movie we we made a hundred million dollars in profit yeah <laughs> you know we're we got scrooge mcduck money yeah and we don't you know we don't care if you liked it or not that's that's the name of the game so that's what you got to know uh just just a real quick thing about the story. John Travolta moves to the big city, is struggling to be a successful uh, dancer in New York City. He he can't get like a job as a backup dancer because there's so many people uh, trying to do this, and he isn't particularly talented as a 
I guess, like, someone who's supposed to be in the background, like, he doesn't know how to take direction because he's right. sort of, like, um, the the reason he was so uh, a disco king is because, like, he he was his own person. Is that yeah. sort of what you're picking up on? Yeah, he was, he was self, he was seemingly self-taught. He was seemingly, you know, able to kind of be the one in charge on the, on the dance floor. I mean, he's a disco king, Dan. Right. That's true. You know, you don't have, you know, if you're a disco king, you don't answer to anybody. But if you're, if you're trying to break into the world of people who are trained, you know, have, who you know, when you think about Broadway, a lot of those people in Broadway have been training for a life on Broadway since they were little. They're you know, hungry, since... Dan. Yeah, yeah, they are. And uh, I think something that, as you know, a member of the audience who's never been someone who's participated in, you know, something like that, it just seems like, well, yeah, there's. Million, like they've got shows all the time why can't you get a job and it's like well you see there's like 400 people trying out for you know 20 20 person chorus like mm-hmm. and you it on the surface they all seem like you said they've been practicing you know dozen years minimum you know since they were kids maybe so just like that's that's crazy you know it's like mm-hmm. trying out for professional sport right uh, and you're pulling from every single person who plays professionals or, you know, college sports. And those people are elite athletes. So it's like yeah. one of those things that, uh, it, despite this movie's um, glaring flaws, I think it did a good job of uh, pointing that out to a like to an audience that um, probably doesn't. I mean, I personally didn't know that much about the whole uh, behind the scenes. Yeah, a fra- it's you know like you said with professional sports. Uh, if you look at like college athletes, who are every college athlete was probably the best player on their high school team. And that's D. That's like D two and three yeah. too. Like those guys yeah, are crazy exactly. talented as well. But like less than one percent of college athletes will ever play professional, which is insane when you think about it. And not to that, mention like become well-known too yeah like you could be on the rams like we mm-hmm. could have been on the rams and that would have been a huge accomplishment for our families but no one would have known us because we would have had to ride the bench for till mm-hmm. they moved to la yeah so then you get into a bigger fraction of a, a smaller fraction of a percentage about the people who actually make it to the next level and are successful and then a smaller fraction about the ones who are you know super successful and it's the same thing with broadway you know there's there's household names in Broadway, and then there are the other 99.9% who just are surviving yeah. on Broadway. They're staying alive. They are staying alive, um, yes. And so I think – so we're going to – do you want to um, talk a little bit more about the background of it? Because I've got it pulled up, but I'm, I, I know you do your homework too. Yeah. Um, and I think that the points – I want to get this out of the way. I think the points we're going to make where we like talk about how the movie is somewhat insightful and um, provides, you know, uh, character and, um, you know, tough choices and stuff. I'm going to go ahead and just assume that's from the original script that uh, is it Stigwood or Stigwood and Wexler wrote because mm-hmm. 
they started writing like right after their their first one blew up and made them stupid rich they're like how do we do this again so they came up with a skip excuse me a script in 1977 and travolta said he wanted to do a sequel parentheses loves money loves being famous mm-hmm. but did not like the pessimism of the script right thinking that his character needed to see more success as a dancer okay so that's the that's the intro dan do you want to de- dive into it to a little bit yeah so you know you can't really do the sequel without the star and and by as i kind of alluded to earlier you know at this point travolta had kind of had started to have a lot of success not just with you know having a freaking oscar nomination right but also with with greece after that and and in addition to you know still being a a tv star as well so they basically end up kind of caving they said, you know, it goes on for a few years yeah. where they can't get a, a, a can't, they can't get Travolta on board because he doesn't like the story. So they write another script and Tony becomes a Broadway dancer, but he remains in the chorus. So he makes it, but he doesn't make it as like a superstar. And then, but Travolta, I guess, like you said, parentheses loves money, decided that you know, well, this is. Not exactly what I had envisioned, but uh, I'm on board with it. However, we get uh, a little further into the process, and they're looking for a director. And uh, John Travolta sees Rocky Three, which was written <laughs> and directed and produced and starred Sylvester Stallone. So and for those of you that, that, that Frank, don't know... I think Frank Stallone was in there, too. Frank Stallone does, like so much of the music in the rocky movies if you ever watch like the rocky movies and you see like the uh like the street urchins like singing by the trash cans that are on fire that's frank stallone and his boys and i think he also does rambo i think he does some of the rambo music too of course he does of course he does (laughs) and and let's let's not kid ourselves frank stallone is a superstar in his own right uh you know he's got so many uh big name Uh, productions to his credit like uh i remember when i was in high school and we read and then there were none the agatha christie book right and then there was a modern remake of it called 10 little indians a movie Uh uh-huh and frank stallone was one of the stars And Ron Howard's brother, right? (laughs) And spoiler alert, uh in the book that came out like a hundred years ago, uh (laughs) nobody survives. That's that's Plus, the premise. It's, it's yeah. in the title. Yeah. Uh, in the movie, Frank Stallone and the <laughs> female lead both survive. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. Uh, I, she's That's like... actually... I'm not going to make anybody watch it, so I'm just going to tell you how it ends. The uh, You think Frank Stallone's character is dead, and you think it's down to the last woman who, like, is hanging herself. Right. And then... She, she falls, and you think she's dead, but she falls into the waiting arms of Frank Stallone. <laughs> Don't we all? Yep, yep. I fell, uh, you know, metaphorically into the arms of Frank Stallone based on the uh, the presentation of, of this film. But Travolta sees Rocky Three, and they said, "We need somebody who can bring that kind of energy to a to a not only a movie but a sequel. We need a, a director like Stallone." So Paramount says, "Well." Uh, I guess they, Michael Eisner, who ended up being like the head of Disney. Right. For a that, long time. That's how I recognize his name. I didn't know yeah. what his 
did before. Yeah, I guess they said he was the studio chief at Paramount, and they got Stallone. And then while they got Stallone in there, Travolta says, well, you know what, Sylvester, I wasn't really... You probably call him Sly. You know what, Sly, I wasn't really feeling the the script you know with tony just being a backup dancer and stallone's like i write movies i can fix it and so stallone rewrote the script to uh more closely match uh what travolta had wanted so travolta's happy uh on all accounts and the original vision of the movie is pretty much forgotten about and um did, I don't know, a careful eye would catch the Stallone Hitchcockian uh, cameo. Did you catch him in there? Yeah, he bumps As into uh, Travolta on the street. Man on street, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, one, I think one thing I do want to point out that's kind of cool is Travolta spent five months doing rigorous training to develop a dancer's physique. <laughs> Trained by S- Stallone himself. Dan, he lost 20 pounds. Yeah. So, like, Travolta gonna, is a stick man in this movie. Yeah. If you're going to if you're gonna work out with somebody, uh, Sly is probably the guy to, to do it with. And I don't, you know, you don't want to body shame people, but, like, he didn't have enough, like, for some of the lifts he was trying to accomplish in this movie, you know they had to do wires, because, like, mm. he doesn't have enough, like, He's very lean. He's yeah, very he, lean. He didn't get any hyper hypot, hypertrophy, hypotrophy? He's going for definition, Mike, not bulk. Uh, well, he's trying to lift people over his head and be like an athletic dancer. He needs a little bulk. Like, baller, what's the male, is it male ballerina? Is that, I'm being gendered. I don't know what the phrase is, but those guys. I always thought it was balladeer, but I think that's a singer. Yeah, <laughs> I can confirm <laughs> that is a singer. Uh, but those guys are like. They're strong because they have to like hold people up like over their head for like with one arm, you know. Yeah. Like, well, the, like the... Uh, Swayze in in Dirty Dancing Ooh, good point. is is very lean, but he's got he's got some bulk. Yeah, he's as got well. He's got some of that roadhouse muscle on. He does. He does. Uh, and did did you know that Swayze was actually in this movie? Um, was he in the band with Frank Stallone? Uh no he was at he was one of the uh like uh, backup dancers you see him like do like uh like a lift Whoa. like in just kind of like a throwaway shot okay. so cool yeah Patrick Swayze's in this movie so a little uh a little synergy there Not bad. and uh, uh Richie Sambora from Bon Jovi the guitarist from Bon Jovi he's in the band oh cool uh, in, in this movie so. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, little uh, Easter eggs there. But like you said, uh, 0% on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. And I think it's because with this backstory, you can see that the this is basically just an ego project. Like it, And not in the way that like Mission Impossible is an ego project, like where he's, like Tom Cruise is putting himself in danger to put on a fantastic show or like, when you know uh an ego project where like john wick is riding a horse through new york city and he uses the horse to kill a man like it's not that kind of ego project where it's like i'm gonna make this amazing and i want to do it even though he was willing to lose 20 pounds and become like christian bale from the machinist like this movie is so 
gross and so like obviously one one voice that mm-hmm. it it doesn't belong in the category of like realistic fiction um and I'm not just saying that because of the ending. I'm talking about the whole damn movie. <laughs> like the yeah, ending I agree. especially cuz this just in he improvises uh the ending of a dance performance for a show that I'm assuming is going to have more than one night, right? Right. Like he's mm-hmm. definitely fired, right? Like his yeah, understudy is no just going to cuz his understudy's been working just as hard and can follow the goddamn script. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's a weird... Uh, like you said, it, it really is just to make Travolta happy so they can get the movie made. Let's keep John happy so we can get the movie made so we can make some money. And if that is the goal, then they accomplished it. But, you know, in there are a couple little anecdotes here. Uh John Travolta for the first movie got nominated for an Oscar. For this movie, he got nominated for a Razzie. Right. For worst actor. So right. you know how does it? That just shows you right there, the the difference in 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 the vision of both of both of these movies. Uh, it is listed in the golden uh, in the official Razzie movie guide as one of the 100 most enjoyably bad movies ever made. I don't know if I would say it's enjoyable though. I don't think so either. It's like I think the issue I have with when people are like, "Oh, they get a Razzie," it's like, no, it's not because it's bad acting. It's because like the person is the 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 protagonist is the villain. Like he is a toxic. He's mm-hmm. he's awful to his mother. He's awful to these two women. He's awful to the director who's who actually has a vision and is trying to create art. And like he's awful to all of his coworkers who are working just as hard or probably harder and not getting like top bill like he is. Not to mention just like the writers. Like they're like, hey, we want to continue the story that people obviously connected with. And he's like no, I want to be like Rocky Three, but with dancing. And everyone's like, mm-hmm. "What in the hell are you... no? That's not a movie." <laughs> like, did you see Rocky Two? Like, that makes more sense. Where it's like right. this person who we rooted for, we find out that he's not good for anything else. Like, he only can do one thing. Like, his relationships are falling apart because he does he doesn't know how to read. Like, mm-hmm. he can only do one thing, and that's was an uncomfortable thing to watch but it's it felt more honest than this i don't know right yeah i totally agree with that uh i i I, we're probably ready to move on to the to the next one but i want to give you a couple more little anecdotes here uh, if you don't mind please it said uh paramount wanted sylvester stallone to play the broadway stage director oh red foreman uh he declined (laughs) yeah partly because the studio couldn't afford his, his $2 million fee, but also to avoid detracting from Travolta's performance. Hmm. Uh, he, Yeah, but mainly because they didn't want to pay him $2 million. That's fair. I mean, that's, that's a lot. Uh, of, it is, uh, this movie is rated number one in Entertainment Weekly's 25 worst sequels ever made. That's saying a lot. 
Uh, although the film is widely considered a flop, it did well enough financially that Paramount considered having Sylvester Stallone and John Travolta star together in The Godfather Part 3 as their next project. The story would have had Stallone and Travolta as rival mob leaders caught up in a drug trade war. The idea was eventually canceled when Francis Ford Coppola, Mario Puzo, and Al Pacino decided to return for a third installment. So we could have had The Godfather 3 with John Travolta and Sylvester Stallone. Neither of those guys can talk, Dan. <laughs> they don't know how to talk out loud and make sentences that people Mr. can Mr. Cartier! Mr. Cartier! <laughs> and then the last one. Uh, the Bee Gees initially had more songs developed for the movie, but after creative differences with star John Travolta, God damn the, the Bee Gees abruptly left the project. Frank Stallone was brought in at the last minute to provide the remainder of the soundtrack, which Travolta approved. So the soundtrack to this, the A-side does have like five original Bee Gees songs yeah, on Barry it. Yeah, Barry Gibb as lead vocals, it says here. Get in there. Get in there. Thank you. But the, the B-side is all Frank Stallone and his crew. So there's a, there's a big, uh, just like there's a big uh, difference in vision between the first film and the second film, hmm. Between the uh, side A and side B of this soundtrack, there is a huge uh, difference in vision. But how does John Travolta get with the Bee Gees? Isn't he busy, like, losing weight and acting? I think maybe he just, like, acted through a uh, power of attorney sort of thing. It's like, like hey, yo, Barry, I, I don't think we should uh, do... I think we should get uh, Sly's brother in here. I knew you would say... I knew you would say that. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch! Let's me get out of here, Robin. Me and the other brothers give are out of here. They, ah. sa they sashay out. Um, <laughs> Everywhere they walk, it's... So, Dan, there was one line from Staying Alive that I thought uh, sort of resonated with you, and it's when um, the... Uh, the he, he's sort of like visually um, assaulting this woman and she's like, what's, why do you keep staring at me? And he says, I just respect the dancing. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dan is always one of the people he's like, hey man, I'm just here for the tunes. Like, I'm just here for the tunes. Did you game game recognized game. <laughs> I, I'm not here to, you know, boost politics. I'm not here to support your agenda. I just respect the dancing. And I thought, um, if this movie had better dancing and focused on that instead of John Travolta's uh, lithe, oiled body, um, I think I could say this movie deserves to be, uh, you know, off the zero meter. But it wasn't about the dancing, Dan, so I can't respect that. I thought you were going to say the uh, the backstage of the premiere of the play, which is called Satan's Alley, by the way. <laughs> uh, someone You hear somebody say, yo, Adrian, it's showtime. Oh, nice. So a little, uh, you know, Sly had to get his uh, Yo Adrian into the script as well. He's like, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be the man on the street. And then also you have to say Yo Adrian. And then also yeah. you have uh, to wear tank tops and headbands like in Rambo. And also my brother's going to do all the music. <laughs> <laughs> and I need, I need more money because I'm an idiot. <laughs> all right. Uh, so we've sort of beat this dead horse. And speaking of... Oh, we, uh, we beat the hell out of it. Beating dead horses. On to Weekend at Bernie's 2. So, it's Weekend at Bernie's 
the second because it's Roman numeral two, which is wild. Uh, this is identified as an American black comedy film from 1993, uh, written and directed by the same guy, um, Robert Klein, and he brings back Andrew McCarthy, Jonathan Silverman as the two um, sort of lovable schmucks uh, who work at a major ad agency or work at a excuse me insurance agency. And um, their currently dead uh, boss, Terry Kaiser. I think that's how you say his name. Um, all three of them come back. Uh, you're like, oh, the guy who's playing the dead guy who's been dead for an entire movie is back. Oh my gosh, he shines in this movie. Um, this, again, was panned by critics. Uh, and it's considered a modest success in 1993 of earning $12.7 against a budget of $7 million. So definitely not the same um, sort of success as the other one, but also not the same budget as the uh, as the um, the original or as uh, staying alive. So um, the script here is uh, starts off with a cartoon intro, sort of um, acknowledging picking up directly when the last one left off, which is uh, strange for sequels, especially with like years between them. Um, it sort of moves from, so I just recently watched the first one for this podcast and I, that was the last episode I just did. So the first one is sort of a, the twist is that it turns into like, a black comedy it just starts out as a regular comedy and then like the this mob hit happens and yeah there's like heroin overdoses and well like you think that these guys are they're you think that it's like an episode of friends where at chandler's work where it's just like these guys are you know they're young they're scrappy and they're determined to get a career because you know the one guy's living at home the other guy's in a crappy apartment and they're really trying to make things work and uh they finally make a big hit uh they make this big discovery and they're gonna like be successful um they're going to like earn their bones and get a higher paying job get a raise you know make sure they have a career uh but it by, and they because they're going through the books on the weekend, they're working the weekend, and um, they find this huge error, and they're going to save the company two million dollars. Um, because they and then they find out, and then the story progresses, and it's like it turns out their boss uh was embezzling this money, and then we find out in this movie that it was for drugs, and you're like, oh, okay, and so you're like, oh wow, this is kind of a twist, and then you find out, and then the mob finds out that uh, um, Bernie, who's the boss, uh, Tony Danza, sorry, just kind of fluid there. Um, he was the one who messed up, so the mob kills him, but he had asked the mob to kill the two guys because they found him out. And then, so all of that, you're like, oh, this sounds like an interesting story, until they, like, these two knuckleheads like start acting like bernie's not dead so that they don't get in trouble i can't and then that's when it sort of falls apart and that's why i wasn't a huge fan of the first movie because i thought it was weird that it was being played so straight 
and on the on the you know up and up and then it takes this bizarre turn where this movie starts with insanity and just mm-hmm. goes crazier and i really enjoyed the ride that they set up yeah it's the the first one like you said it's we've got the the two larry and richard i think their their names are uh andrew mccarthy by the way plays larry he was kind of the in the 80s he was kind of like the romantic comedy leading man uh kind of a big big deal there in in the 80s he was part of that uh, i think he was right. part of that brat pack yeah you're right yeah um and then he was you know had a lot of success in the in the 80s and uh then you got jonathan silverman who's uh the brother of the comedian sarah silverman oh, and yeah. uh yeah and uh so they like you said they find this error and bernie their boss is like oh i want to reward you guys come on up to my place uh was it in the hamptons or where where was uh, there a, just a fancy place yeah this the my weekend getaway come on up i want to reward you guys but he really wants to lure them up there so they can so the mob can kill him but the mob is like well you're the one that let him catch you so we're going to kill you and they uh overdose uh bernie on heroin the mob does the mob does and uh when larry and richard get there uh they find bernie is dead but it's too late for them to do anything because the party started and right. everybody and starts showing up and like the joke i kept making was they're like okay we're gonna call the cops and then they see like a woman in a bikini and they're like Boing! like <laughs> let's let's continue to desecrate this human body and subject mm-hmm. everyone to like you know terrible <laughs> terrible things and i thought that this movie Again, so it's sort of, we're in the world where these two guys are dumb. Uh, They're, like, they almost don't have, like, like a prefrontal cortex sort of thing. They're just, like, they just do whatever. And, um, like, no one knows that this guy's dead. Like, they can't acknowledge that he's dead because he's wearing glasses. Okay, so that's the world we enter into. And then it just takes... Just like left turn, left turn, left turn. And then they're like, okay, we're going to ride this out for another like 50 minutes because it's not that long of a movie. And I I think they I think they did it. I was really pleased with how they did it. Um, Barry Bosman shows up as... Uh, so they think... The premise of the movie is they get Bernie back to the morgue, finally. And they're just like... The two guys uh, are like, okay... We're just gonna, we're done with this. We'll just, we're gonna go, we're gonna get our raise that we deserve because we found this, these, this, uh, huge clerical error. And, cause they still don't know that he stole the money. And then they get there and they're fired immediately because they, the, the bosses think that they stole the money. And just so happens that Bernie's dead and they blamed it on him. And so, uh, this Hummel character is introduced as the new bad guy. And he is played. <laughs> so well i laughed out loud multiple times because of his stuff that was happening to him yeah barry bostwick is oh bostwick thank you he's 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 hilarious he was on um uh he was on uh what was the one that had uh the show that had michael j fox spin city spin city yeah, yeah man he, he killed spin it city uh he was the uh 
the uh, the main uh, lead in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh my gosh! Yeah, him wow. and him and Susan Sarandon. Yeah, Barry Boswick has uh, been around for a long time. He's just he's just very. He's he's got like he's just got like a really cool aura about him as an actor that you just kind of like, you know, it, that you kind of just gravitated toward. It's like it's a character actor who whenever they're given a good movie, you're like, thank God, because you were going to be good no matter what. I'm just mm-hmm. glad it's a good movie instead of, you know, a crap one, because then it would sort of feel like they were they didn't get to shine. Right. Um, but he definitely does a great job in this. Uh, so, so we Go ahead. So we've got, uh, sorry, they had, they were thinking they were going to get rewarded. So, I mean, the story really kind of, you know, picks up pretty closely after the the first movie. Uh, but it turns out that their new boss thinks that they're lying and fires them, even though they claim, you know, they don't know where the money is. Uh, they think that, or the boss thinks that they do, but they can't prove it, so... He can't bring like criminal charges against them, but he can fire them. And then I guess it's Barry Boswick's job as the internal yeah. investigator. Find that to, money. Yeah, to find the money and you know prove uh, prove that uh, Larry and Richard had something to do with it, so that they can bring criminal charges against them. And sort of like sweep this under the rug. Right. Richard and Larry, their job is to find the money. Uh that's missing because if they're going to get fired they might as well find you know create Mm -hmm. a nice life for themselves uh with this money that they haven't stolen but have been accused of and so uh they're going to use their body of bernie to um check out his like an offshore account that he has put the money in and so they have to steal the body and act like he's alive in a way that they didn't do so much in the first one. Like, this is this is crazy. It's insane. And it's sort of, like, funny. The way that they end up doing it with, like, with the special coat and stuff. Like, that was cracking me up. I thought that was, like, it was well rehearsed. It was funny. <laughs> and then enter the drug cartel who Bernie had, like, double-crossed. And, um... They want the money that he stole because it belongs to them because he owed them for all the drugs. I don't. This is the thing. They're just like, shut up. Come on. We got. We just got to move this forward enough so we can yeah. it, like talk about this voodoo priestess and these two knuckleheads who are sort of like the foils of the, our main two characters. And like their job is to kidnap the body and reanimate him with voodoo powers so that they can <laughs> find the money. Okay, that's the premise, and then it just gets crazy. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> in, instead of using a chicken and fully reanimating Bernie, Dan, are you getting this? They use a pigeon, mm-hmm. and he can only partially be reanimated when what? When, when, he hears, when he hears music, of course. And, okay, so I know you talked about Frank Stallone and the Bee Gees and a good album. This movie has an incredible soundtrack. I did not know this movie was going to be so music heavy. This is one of the like unusual connections these two movies have. Uh, that when you're like, oh yeah, Weekend of Bernie's two and Staying Alive, they have a lot in common. No, they actually do. They're primarily music movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a uh, music plays a, a huge role in the in, in as a plot point here. 
So we basically got uh, we've got to go to the Virgin Islands because uh, I guess that's where the money is. We but we need to we need Bernie to lead us to the money. So we need him to reanimate him and then take us there. So we end up in the, the boilerplate voodoo stuff. Yeah, and uh, Larry and Richard uh, get Bernie's body there uh, by putting him in a suitcase. You could tell this is definitely pre nine eleven, Dan. Yeah, yeah. So oh, don't, don't open my bag. Sorry. Nope. Yep. Don't look in there. Uh, and then when they get him to uh, the Virgin Islands, they put him in a refrigerator in the hotel room. And it works. Yeah, it does. It of course it works. Um. Uh, and and then um, Hummel follows them there and is spying on them. And then uh, I guess is is Larry the horn dog and Richards the straight guy, like the straight man, where he like yes. Okay. Um. So the horn dog's like, hey, I'm gonna go score with all these hot bikini chicks, and he's and then um. The straight man's like, oh man, I gotta, we gotta figure out a plan, and I'm stressed out. And then there's uh, dancing. Dan, did you know that both of these movies, staying alive, and dancing, have so much in common? Because like we can, you know what keeps Bernie alive is dancing. You know what mm-hmm. John Travolta is trying to do? Stay alive with dancing. Mm-hmm. I Synergy. Respect, I just respect the dancing. <laughs> and that's, you're familiar with the meme of the Bernie. Yes. The the dance. Yes. Um, I did not know it came from this movie. I just assumed it was in the first movie. Nope. Uh, Terry Kaiser? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, he, he created a dance craze years before. He didn't even know it. But before... <laughs> remember there, there was a shark attack? <laughs> the shark is pulled out of the water as it tries to eat Bernie? Of course. <laughs> That's nonsense. Um, yeah. is there any... a lot of nonsense in this movie. <laughs> Uh, um, and uh, and then Hummel just keeps getting arrested, and that's funny. Um, I don't know what what else what else is there to say about the plot before we get to our categories. Uh, well, they uh, or criteria rather. There's the use of the Walkman, uh, oh, yeah. and, and for Bernie, but uh, awesome. you know, because it's impractical to just carry a boombox around everywhere with you. But if we just put headphones on Bernie and play music through the Walkman, then, you know, he's just, he's very self-sufficient. He can and get then himself around. The Walkman also was used to, like, when he had to go underwater. Right. Because we all know that a Walkman would, would function well uh, at the, in the depths of the ocean. The thing is, if it was built in the 90s, I kind of think it would have. That's, <laughs> you know, it's like, if you, you know, VCRs and cassette players were just legitimately built with different material like they were built to last outlast the cold war so take that laser disc come big cassettes coming at you well you talked about the the budget of the first one it had a 15 million dollar budget and it ended up making double that ended up making 30 million dollars and just to kind of go back to something i said at the beginning of the show when you talk about a sequel sometimes with the the example of staying alive they you know, pretty much gave you six times as much money right. to make the, the sequel. This one, they said, well, we'll let you do a sequel, but we're going to give you half. So they did a, they had a $7 million budget for this one. 
it was still profitable because it made like 12.7 million right but you're kind of you're kind of handcuffing your creators from the very beginning if you say that we're going to give you you know less than half you right know, they went from 15 million to, to 7 million so i thought that was that was kind of interesting to uh to just kind of go back to a point that we made earlier i didn't necessarily feel it as bad though like i thought they did they did a good job with the money they had i think back in the in the late 80s it was it's 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 easier to to hide the the financial differences now you see it a lot yeah you know you see a movie that came out 15 years ago and you're like oh shit those effects don't hold up yes because of how how effect heavy everything is and how quickly technology is progressing but when you've got just a dead dude who's just <laughs> strolling around with a walkman except for the the scene with the shark which was not great well that uh, was that was uh, all their budget mike that was five million of the of the budget right there for the is, shark scene dan is that where the phrase jump the shark comes from i know uh, it does, yes but... yes yes that's exactly where it comes from i've been talking about how i've been watching community and uh, Abed keeps talking to me. He's like, oh no, we're going to jump the shark. And then Troy yells, did you know there was a show called Happy Days and somebody <laughs> literally jumped a shark? He said, that was the best episode. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I thought that was really funny. Um, okay. I think we've done a good job of laying out these two films. Uh, we even haven't though talked we... about the, the tomato meter, though. The thermometer? No, get in there. So the... Uh... The first Saturday Night Fever went, was an 82% on the tomato Certified meter. Fresh. fresh. And had a drop down to 0% for the sequel. Uh, whereas Weekend at Bernie's 1 had started at a 54%. That makes sense. Which is, you know, yeah. anything, anything over 50% is respectful. Good, yeah. Anything over 50% is respectful. Especially for a comedy. You got to get to like sixty percent or yeah, something to, to be, be fresh. fresh. But anything over fifty percent is respectable. Uh, and then went down to a ten percent no. for Weekend at Bernie's too. That's so, not fair. So if we look at the uh, if we if we're doing the range here, Mike, you know, as yeah. the as the math teacher here. Oh yeah. Uh, Saturday Night Fever uh, has a range of eighty-two percent, and Weekend at Bernie's uh, has a range of. 44%. So uh, Saturday Night Fever had double the drop from uh, movie one to movie two that Weekend of Bernie's did, according to the thermometer. I am not comfortable with people saying they like Weekend of Bernie's one and then they don't like Weekend of Bernie's two. I don't have a problem with people saying one is better than the other, but I don't think you can watch both of these and say, oh, I only like the first one. <laughs> like, yeah. that doesn't even make sense to me. <laughs> can I give you a few... Uh... A few little anecdotes about uh, Weekend at Bernie's too before we. Uh, Dan, I wasn't able to find that much, so I'd be I, I'd love to hear. So uh, Weekend at Bernie's too is usually when when it's when Weekend at Bernie's is referenced in pop culture, they're usually talking about Weekend at Bernie's too. Yeah, I mean especially with the dance. Yes, and uh, you know with the they had the the moving like Bernie dance, and yeah. there was. You know, Major League Baseball teams were doing it after home runs, yeah. and NFL teams were doing it for, like, touchdown dances. Uh, but there is, uh, 
you know, Weekend at Bernie's 2 is the more outrageous of them just because of the whole music reanimating voodoo thing. Well, it's it's basically magical realism. Right. So the first one is just, you know, corpse... Uh, yeah, corpse shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> but this one is... Usually when people, you know, reference it in pop culture, they're talking about this one. So uh, there was an episode of Seinfeld where uh, Elaine goes into the video store and there's like an art house guy that works there that, uh, you know, recommends like all these art housey movies. And he's got like his picks up on the wall and Elaine's going to get that movie that the, the I think the name was Gene, the guy picked. But uh, Kramer says, no, instead of getting that, you need to get Weekend at Bernie's 2. Because it's a hilarious premise, you won't be disappointed. Uh, but then later in the in the show, you see Elaine yelling at the TV, "Just Bernie's dead, you morons!" And uh, eventually ends up going back to the video store and getting a little flack from the uh, video worker because she rented Weekend at Bernie's two instead. Correct uh, me there... if I'm wrong. I think there's the the Friends episode where uh, it's. Uh, Joey and Chandler are against Monica and Rachel and the quiz show that Ross sets up to determine who gets the apartment, the nice apartment. Um, they're like, what does Rachel say is her favorite movie? And they're like, dangerous liaisons. And they're like, what is her actual favorite movie? Like, we get a Bernie's. <laughs> Correct. Is that right? Did I make that up? I think so. I, I think, think that's that, right. That sounds right. So that was one of my favorite episodes. So I think uh, there was it. an episode of NCIS where a character uh, has to establish an alibi he was too embarrassed to say which film he had been watching and the team that is interrogating him assumes that he was too embarrassed to say because it was a porno naturally but he eventually admits it was weekend at bernie's too to which uh one of the agents says even worse and... man i liked weekend at bernie's too <laughs> i like uh, this hate uh, Weekend at Bernie's is, is referenced several times in uh, the show How I Met Your Mother, which I love. Okay. Uh, there was one episode where uh, Ted insults Lily for having a poor sense of humor, and he says, Remember that time we heard her laughing and we thought she was watching Weekend at Bernie's, but it turned out she was watching Weekend at Bernie's too? Come on. <laughs> and then there was another one uh, in the final season where uh, Barney... Uh, which is Neil Patrick Harris's character, right. is uh, on his wedding weekend, and he's gets super drunk the night before, and is basically in full Bernie mode, like can't function at all. <laughs> but they they decide that they're going to still try to get him through the pictures for the day, so that uh, his future father-in-law doesn't uh, murder him for real, yeah, because of all the money that he had paid for this wedding and everything. And uh, his his friends like rig up, uh, uh, put sunglasses on him and rig up like pulleys and things like that. That's awesome. And uh, they call it Weekend at Barney's. Okay, yes. That was his uh, character's name. I've seen that. And uh, the whole premise of the show is that they actually got away with it, that it worked. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that the father-in-law knew from the very beginning that he was just a passed out drunk piece of shit. Uh, and kicked him straight in the dick. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they, uh, but they, when they wake, when Barney comes to the next day, they can't 
uh, break it to tell him that the weekend at Barney's thing didn't work. And so they just basically tell him, yeah, it worked out great. That's awesome. And so Barney is in this uh, state of belief that it worked, and he says, does anybody else's balls hurt really bad? (laughs) (laughs) He goes, you guys did Weekend at Barney's, and it worked. Well, in reality, it didn't. It's a hilarious episode. That's a good one. Uh, there is a Beavis and Butthead episode. Naturally. Uh, where the, the main characters are watching a commercial for the movie Weekend at Bernie 7, which features the tagline, Bernie's still dead and he's stiffer than ever. And Bernie <laughs> is shown as being visibly decaying at this point. Oh, no. Uh, there's a couple of uh, botches. Or there was one botch in the movie. Uh, when Charles and Henry are released from jail, that mm-hmm. was with the the two goons. Right. Uh, when they get released from jail, there is a crew member. They walk across the street. There is a crew member with a walkie-talkie behind them, telling people not to walk into the shot. And some people even stop and watch the scene being filmed. Now this they... is filmed in in Times Square, if I'm not wrong, right? Right. Yeah. Right. And so they just left that in the movie because, you know, who cares at this yeah. point? And then, uh, last one, the Bernie dummy used in the film had Wait, been on display. What? <laughs> Wait. What? Yeah, there was a uh, a couple instances where it was not uh, actually uh, Terry Kaiser, the actor. Yeah, it's a stunt double. Stunt double uh, broke his ribs. There was the a, uh, a Bernie dummy used in the film in some scenes had been on display for the film's debut. Uh, apparently it was on display very near where the, uh, uh, riots took place, uh, around this time. And, uh, I guess, I guess it was the, the Rodney King, uh, yeah, yeah, riots. yeah in LA. and, uh, the dummy turned out to be fine, but somebody stole the painter's hat and the $400 sunglasses that he was wearing. <laughs> That's awesome. So there you go. Uh, weekend at Bernie's two anecdotes for you. All right. Uh, with that, I think it's a perfect time to transition to our uh, categories. Sorry, our criteria to determine which sequel is better. Uh, Dan will be back in just a second. We are back. Dan, sequels. Uh, the closest we've come to doing this on the podcast before is we watched the fifth installment of a series. Um, and I know you've been clamoring to get back to the Tremors uh, series because there is a sixth one out now. I think it's like Cold Day in Hell or something stupid like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we borrowed some of the criteria that we used for that episode. Um, we always talk about rewatchability. So which one of these um, sequels deserves a second watch? Uh, we also talked about cast chemistry. Um, can you, uh, you know, riff on that for a little bit? Cast chemistry, why is that a cr- good criteria for a sequel? Well, I mean, especially if you have some of these characters that are all, already have a history of working together from uh, from movie to movie. I think with Staying Alive... It's his mom, were, right? Yeah, and there was supposed to be another... Um, there was supposed to be uh, the female... Uh, one of the female leads from the first movie yes. was supposed to show up, but I think her scenes got cut or something oh. like that. Uh, but there were, you know, especially if you have characters who have worked together before, 
in as as these you know actors as these actual characters right then if it's successful and it warrants a sequel then you would think that there would part of the byproduct of that would be because of that they have some kind of chemistry and that they have some kind of uh, you know, ability to work well together and to help craft this story that you would want to see uh, a second time. So I, it's, I think it's a little under the radar as far as sequels go. But when you're, especially when you're getting back the same actors for mm-hmm. multiple films, I think that, you know, chemistry has to be a very important thing. I agree with that. Uh, we talked about now, so those are sort of like what, what we look for in a good movie regardless if it's a sequel or not, but uh, you did a great job of highlighting why cast chemistry is important in a sequel, too. The next two criteria are very sequel-focused. Which one of these movies justified by its story that it should be made at all? Which one of these should be a sequel? Um, And just on the premise that it should be, which one actually delivered? Um, and then sort of with that, which one did a better job of progressing the original story, not just, um, the plot that we watched, but also pushed forward the one that was set up in the original. Um, where do you want to start? Let's start with rewatchability. Okay. They're, they're both, um, under two hours. I think that's important to state. Uh, which one are you going to rewatch, Dan? I guess Weekend at Bernie's. Uh, I I don't want to ever watch uh, Staying Alive again. Um, but if I gun to my head, if I had to watch one, I guess you know the silliness and the just the you know sheer audacity of the of the plot. You know, it could you know there's nothing wrong with turning your brain off a little bit and just being a little goofy. So I'll go with Weekend at Bernie's Part Two. I just think that Staying Alive was so like it was unpleasant to watch like i didn't like how john travolta treated anyone especially all of the women in the movie like including his mom it's so weird because the the first one is is just like that yeah it's it's everybody in there is a piece of shit but that somehow got an 82 percent and a nod for best actor and this one got zero percent and uh a nod for a razzie yeah i think that um weekend at bernie's 2 was silly and i laughed and I would rather rewatch that than, even though like like you said, some of the dancing was good in Staying Alive. That's not really the point of the movie, and that's right. not where the majority of the time is spent. It's just like him making people feel bad. I just respect the dancing. That's I I do too, and that's why I'm so mad. Um, okay, let's do cast chemistry. Which one of these movies do you think had, uh, the actors were doing a good job playing off each other and sort of continuing the relationship set up in the first one well this is a this is a default win for me because uh i didn't think john travolta had chemistry with with anybody that maybe his mom a little bit he made Um, her feel bad yeah but you know at least there was a little bit of a a a connection there yeah but and, and she kind of there's that scene where you know he apologizes to her for uh you know kind of you know being an ass you know that scene where he walks all the way back to to brooklyn yeah that is insane. Uh, in the middle of the night um but then mom kind of says you know what you you got out you know you followed uh you you, you actually got out of here you know so you were an asshole but you but that being selfish 
like actually helped you get out. Right. Uh, and that was the only real connection I had, um, you know, as far as chemistry goes. Nobody else in the in the movie, like you said, it was just a, it was just a a narcissism project for. Right. For Travolta, so he didn't have any. He didn't give anybody else anything. It was all about him, and I think that if if you have to, in order for everybody to to be better, you have to give a little bit. And he didn't give anything in this right. movie to, to anybody else. So I'll I'll give it to Weekend at Bernie's because you know I thought I think that uh, Andrew McCarthy and Jonathan Silverman seem like they're, you know play off of each other pretty well uh seemed like they uh didn't hate to be uh to film scenes with one another and uh like you said barry boswick's just fantastic in and everything he does uh he has chemistry with everybody and uh so i'll give it to wab part do i thought uh so all your points about staying alive were right on i'm in complete agreement with you on all that i thought that weekend at bernie's did a good job because the frustrating part of the first movie is that they're supposed to be like the rule follower stickler guy who's trying to, you know, get this intern to fall in love with him. And like, you're supposed to sort of side with him, but his friends trying to like get him to loosen up. And they do that for like maybe 20 minutes in this movie. And then they just, then it's a caper. Like they're both because they're both, their lives are both threatened. Their jobs are both lost they're both sort of in the same boat and Andrew McCarthy sort of loosens up a little bit and then they're both kind of goofy and they're both mm -hmm. like, Oh, well we got to put them, you know, let's put them in the um, suitcase and we got to make yep. sure he's in this silly outfit. And then we're going to spread, you know, he stinks. Oh boy. He stinks because his body is decomposing Dan. Um, <laughs> but they're like, Oh, we got to spray him with this, you know, uh, the stink spray. And you're like, okay, this is, and then they're like, it's funny like they're they're playing up for yucks instead mm -hmm. of it being like oh we can't do that that's a bad idea i'm about to call the cops but i'm so tired you're like what <laughs> so i thought it was legitimately and then like all of the like you know background secondary characters all the people on the island like do a good job like they play off you know they do a, it's funny it feels like fleshed out like instead of mm -hmm. just extras they feel like characters so that being said staying alive duh Sucks. It sucks bad. <laughs> okay, uh, now into the trickier. Which one do you think progresses the story better as a sequel? So, my, if, if you don't mind, I'm going to kind of time give you both of my last two categories at the same time because uh, I think they kind we're, of. We're going to uh, have to stop the podcast. <laughs> Dan, like, there's a certain thing. Can I ask permission? To there's do a that? certain thing I ask, and it's a level <laughs> of professionalism. You have never been able to meet. <laughs> I know. I know. It's true. Okay, go ahead. But, I'll just add it around it. Not a big deal. So I'm going to... Because I think they, they kind of tie together. I think that Staying Alive justified a sequel. Uh, I'm going to say that I was more interested originally in seeing where the Tony Monero character would go next. I thought it was an intriguing concept to say... Hey, he has this passion for for dance that he showed in the first movie. It's obviously what he wants to try to make a career out of. But I think it's an interesting concept to see him not just have success, to see him struggling, you know, a few years down the line 
and seeing that, hey, it, you know, kind of telling the story that it's not as easy as you you think it's going to be. This is not just a, a tale of him having immense success. I think the idea behind that, and maybe if they would have followed the original script. That's a good point. Then, you know, maybe it would have been a, a better film. So I'm going to say that justifying the sequel, I'm going to give it to Stan Alive. However, connecting to the original, Stan, Stan Alive just didn't do. It it was, it was not the original vision behind the movie. It was not, it was just a, you know, I'm not John Travolta saying I'm not going to make this movie unless I come out, you know, looking good in the end. You know, mm-hmm. I don't I don't want my character to be shown as struggling, or or else I'm not going to make this movie. Mm-hmm. And that's that's shouldn't be the the reason by behind making a sequel. Uh, so I'm going to say that Saturday Night Fever into Staying Alive should have been the better sequel. It had it was set up to be the better sequel. It justified being the better sequel. However, connection to the original, I'll give it to Weekend at Bernie's because I thought that you know it picks up pretty much where the first movie left off. Literally, and, and it it kind of. It does it in a more slapsticky way, but it, it at least, you know, gave you at least you knew where you, what you were getting. Uh, you knew that they were just going to take the 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 comedy, the dark comedy of the first one, and just turn it up a little bit uh, and make it a little bit more silly. And I thought that it connected and kind of you know wrapped up things, you know, in a in a way that made sense. And to me, I thought it had a better connection to the first one. Awesome. I'm so happy you like did a great job of articulating that because I have the opposite opinion, but what you said makes so much sense and um I'm glad you got to say it and I get to say the like the crazy side of it. Like the cuz I think you you're completely on the right track and I think that's sort of why so many people why it went from an uh, certified fresh to um, certified splat. Certified trash. Rotten. Because, like, I think that um, the progression of story for almost the whole movie of Staying Alive fits. Like, if you're going to lo- leave your, like, your little pond where you were the big fish, you are going to have to wash your clothes in your shower. You're going to have to work two jobs where you're, like, treated like shit uh, just to make your dream come true. That all made sense, and you are going to struggle. And you might get a break, but until, like, the whole and the whole thing with, like, he's a, a star. That was the only part, like... So I thought, like, 90% of Staying Alive um, progressed the story. Like... I think that he is going to treat people like garbage because he thinks that he's entitled to that because he was so good at dancing in his small town and he did get out. And, you know, even though we don't like it, like people that that fit the story of this guy that I thought, except for the end, of course, I didn't think um, Weekend at Bernie's made any sense progressing the original story. Like, that it was very it was it was forced it was yes. a, it was a very forced concept when, to to try to get a sequel out and i think that's why like you said you want to know what happens with 
Disco mm-hmm. King, Tony Monero. And that's why the progression of story fit for me. Because we find out what happens until, in my head, he, like, um, gets injured in a subway accident and then the rest of the movie's a fever dream. You know? Like, he's like, oh, no. And then I did this show and I riffed at the end and I lifted this person up. Everyone clapped and then I strutted down the street of New York City. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. oh, no, that didn't happen. You're in a coma and you're never going to wake up, Tony Monero Disco King. Where, like, when if you had pitched the idea of we're going to do a weekend of Bernie's too. I'm like, that's stupid. Don't do that. Like, I don't even want to look at the script. And that's why I thought I'm giving, um, weekend at Bernie's two the justified being a sequel, because when it was over, I'm glad they had made a second one where I wasn't happy that there was a sequel to, um, Saturday night fever because like it, it didn't the way the move, the story of the sequel was so fun in Weekend at Bernie's that I'm glad they made it because I thought it was it took the the silliness and it took it up a notch and I thought I appreciated that but I thought they took I wasn't able to suspend my disbelief enough with a live person dancing so good that everyone loves him as I was a dead man dancing because of magic. Like the, the level of suspension of disbelief, like there should be a disconnect there, but I thought that because it was so funny, weekend of Bernie's too justified having a se- or being a sequel. Makes sense. And with that, um, staying alive is our winner. No, that's not true. <laughs> uh, said no one ever. The sequel of sequels here with these two, um, critically panned movies is uh weekend at bernie's 2 any last thoughts before we move on dan i have one do it i uh found another little anecdote for you because you know, is... that's apparently my job on the podcast here hey, dan did you see either of these movies in theaters no okay no uh uh in you'd have been too young for staying alive right yeah would have been too young for i would have been three three that would have been insane. Uh, uh, in 2016, a third Weekend at Bernie's film was announced. Right. Weekend at Bernie's 3, The, the Corpse Awakens. Oh, my God. The production did not get past the development stage, but the script is readily available online and is a firm favorite at fan table reads. Hey, Dan, so, have you ever heard of uh, computer viruses? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like a honeypot of a computer virus. So apparently this script is out there and people will just get together yeah. and do like a live read of the script. That sounds like a lot of fun. Like I think that's what we should do when this pandemic is over is we're going to get a bunch of people together and we are going to give everybody parts and we're going to do a table read. <laughs> uh special episode of comparing apples to oranges. It's on our Patreon. Three. Yes. The $100 <laughs> yeah. level. Yeah, that's for the that's for the uh, the super fans. You get like an autograph picture from Mike. Yeah. Uh, you get uh, access to the video of our of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, and you get uh, access to special events like the table read of Weekend at Bernie's Three. Talking about justifying, this will not justify your your monthly donation to us. It yeah. is not tax so refundable. Either. I know what I'm doing this weekend. I'm <laughs> downloading Weekend at Bernie's Three. <laughs> Why is the PDF 50 gigs? That doesn't make any sense. Uh, Okay, we'll be back 
in just a moment with some recommendations for sequels and a little segment. And we're back. We've got, uh, this is the part of the program where Dan and I give you some recommendations for movies that are sequels that you should check out. Although, Dan, would you tell people to watch Weekend at Bernie's 2? Or would you uh, just no. be, you would just no. tell them don't turn it off if it's on TV already? Yeah, I would, I don't even know if I'd do that. But, Dang! Uh, <laughs> it, was like, it was the lesser of two evils here. Definitely. Um, okay, so, Dan, please proceed. What's a um, sequel movie that you recommend people to watch? Okay, I'm going to go with something very, very, very new as we record this. Oh, in okay. March of 2021. I recently watched the sequel to the original Coming to America with Eddie oh, And it's got Arsenio. I loved it. Okay. I absolutely loved it. Fantastic. Some people said that, you know, it People are going to hate, Dan. Yeah, hate is going to hate, but first of all, I think the first Coming to America is one of the the funniest movies ever. There's a scene in the uh in the barbershop where it's Eddie Murphy as multiple right. elderly gentlemen, uh including one elderly white gentleman. And and Arsenio Hall also as one of the elderly gentlemen in the in the barbershop. And they're always talking about boxing and they're, they're talking about uh, uh, the greatest boxers of all time and talk about talking about how Mike Tyson ain't shit like Muhammad Ali would whoop his ass. It's, there's a there's a <laughs> scene there. I don't, I don't want to spoil it, but right. look it up on YouTube. It's one of the funniest scenes in movie history. But, but coming to America came came out uh, just recently on Amazon, uh, the streaming service, and it is uh, 30 years after the original. Uh, Eddie Murphy's character finds out that he has a uh, a son uh, from his uh, escapades in uh, New York 30 years before. But they get like all the cast is back and everybody looks great. James Earl Jones is in it. Uh, Eddie Murphy's in it. Uh, Arsenio Hall's in it. It's they're they're all playing multiple roles again. It's it's so funny, Mike. I got to tell you, I would highly recommend. If you enjoyed the first one, you'll enjoy this one too. It's you know, sequels rarely live up to the to the original, so don't think that it's going to surpass the original. But it's definitely worth a watch. It's very 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 funny. I'm really happy to hear that because I've seen it advertised and I didn't know. I I know that you're a huge Eddie Murphy fan, um, pre like his Nutty Professor days, mm-hmm. like when he was doing comedy movies for yeah. adults instead of just trying to cash in on stupid yeah, shit, like Forty Eight Hours, Beverly Hills Cop, and uh, stuff like that. Yeah, I was I'm a huge fan, and then his his stand up comedy too. I hear he's. Uh, when the pandemic's over, he's going to get back into stand-up comedy, which is uh, very uh, enticing as well. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that, like, from a true fan, um, you say that it's good because there's something to be said about long-delayed sequels um, that it seems like a cash grab, like a nostalgia grab. Um, I'm looking at you, Tron Legacy, when it just, like, can't live up. You know, but it, I'm really happy to hear that it did for one fan. So that's awesome. Um, my movie is 
not is a uh, there there is a third member of this uh series that did just recently come out but i haven't seen it yet so i can't recommend it i'm talking about bill and ted's bogus journey that's the sequel to bill and ted's excellent adventure hard to keep track of uh this came out right after um the first movie like two three years later the first movie is about time travel and um your boy george carlin shows up from the future to help bill and ted pass their history exam so that they can stay together and write uh, become the most epic band of all time and unite the world with their music so that's the premise of the first one they travel back in time get all these famous people and get an a in their history so let me read you the this the premise of the sequel okay a tyrant from the future creates evil android doubles of bill and ted sends them back to eliminate the originals that's the premise of the first 13 minutes of the movie they are killed within the first half hour of the movie and then they go down to hell and have to traverse both heaven and hell to return to their bodies and stop the androids and they meet two uh martians named station that combine to dan this movie is so (laughs) i can't describe it to you but it it riffs on things that people who go to see the movie shouldn't understand like they do a whole thing where like they play chess against death which is from like this famous ingmar bergman movie called the seventh seal which is like a black and white criterion collection movie but then like they beat death and death's like no that's not fair let's keep playing and then like they do a a series of cuts where they're playing twister with death and they're playing (laughs) parcheesi and chinese checker like this movie is so gleefully ridiculous it's 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 so it feels free like it's so it's just like hey what's the worst that could happen we already did a movie where we've got napoleon and abraham lincoln and genghis khan in a mall mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. and this movie kicked so much butt let's do it again so i have not seen the third movie which is face the music but i strongly endorse the sequel bill and ted's bogus journey which nice. i think i got for free as a dvd from pizza hut <laughs> it's <laughs> back in like 2014 or something it had to be later than that 2012 something it was just so it's got some like grease stains on the cover of its little envelope he had had pepperoni fingers hey man uh okay so those are two sequels that we recommend um now this now's the time for a new segment inspired by uh two podcasts i really enjoy called um so the doughboys and uh the mcelroy brothers my brother my brother and me's segment um munch squad Dan and I are going to eat two things here that belong in the same category, that don't belong in the same genre. We've got Smart Foods Popcorn Mix featuring Cap'n Crunch Berries, Dan's favorite cereal, and um, skin remover. (laughs) (laughs) And then we've got Rice Krispies Treats that have uh, little M&M Minis. So this is uh, cereal spiked snacks. We've got a sweet treat, and we've got a uh, savory snack. And so those are the two categories, but we've got, or the category that we have, uh, I'm calling it cereal spiked. 
That's mm -hmm. that's not completely right, because this isn't M and M spiked with cereal. But um, which one do you want to start with, Dan? Uh, let's do the popcorn. Okay. Uh, I'm just gonna edit this out so you could just eat. And then I'll just... It smells good. Kind of smells like like tasty paint. I can taste the crunch berry a little bit. Hmm. Let's see if the dogs like it. Nightwing's gonna be the real test. He's a uh... Picky. Let's see. He took it from me. He placed it on the ground. You probably want a crunch berry. Let's try a crunch berry. Uh, Robin will eat anything. The last time I did this segment, um, I had some uh, pickle flavored Doritos, and Uno came oh, up, and I gave him one. He spit it out. <laughs> <laughs> Good man. He, he knew I had something, and he knew he wanted it, and then he ha I gave it to him, and he's like, this is straight trash. That's kind of a tough call. They so First of all, Rice Krispie Treat just kind of tastes like a Rice Krispie Treat. Like See, I, I thought that the, the M&M kind of... Now, granted, my post-COVID, my yeah. melon tastes are very, very, very out of whack. Dan's a long-haul survivor right now. I thought that the M&Ms kind of overpowered the... The Rice Krispie, like the marshmallow, like I can kind of taste marshmallow stuff mm -hmm. and I can kind of taste chocolate stuff. Mm -hmm. And I thought that the chocolate kind of overpowered the, the marshmallow. I was, that makes sense. so when I, I'm used to eating like homemade Rice Krispie treats, not like that I make them just like when I eat them, they're, uh, homemade. Um, and I get a lot more marshmallow flavor from that. And I don't really get it from the store-bought ones as much. Okay. And so I didn't get a lot of anything, and I wanted more chocolate from it, actually. Interesting. And then the popcorn, I thought it was going to be salty popcorn with sweet berries, but it was just sweet popcorn. Mm -hmm. So they, I don't think either of them were bad, but I was a little bit more let down by the Rice Krispie Treat. See, I thought the... Uh... You know, for me, the popcorn was, I don't know if it's just my diminished sense of taste, but the popcorn was very bland, but mm -hmm. the, I could, I could, the crunch berries were nice to, to kind of, you know, I could kind of pick up the taste on that a little bit. So it'd be nice, you know, I was, instead of eating them separately, I was trying to take them both at the same time. Yeah. Uh, to kind of, you know, get the little flavor for it. And my, my dogs, uh, enjoyed, uh, I have one dog that will eat anything, and the other one's very picky. So I'm going to go with the picky dog as the uh, better representation of taste here. Right. He's got good uh, taste. He really and he ended up eating the popcorn. Uh, he really enjoyed the crunch berry, uh, but he really enjoyed the. Of course, didn't give him the chocolate part of the right uh, rice krispie treat, but he really and he. I think the rice krispie treat was uh, his favorite. Did you cut the roof of your mouth? Uh, no, I did not. Um, and maybe it's just because I I didn't. I only probably ate about five or six crunch berries total, right. rather it than like half a bowl of them. It wasn't an oops all berry situation. <laughs> it's like oops, uh, sorry, the roof of your mouth's all bloody. Oops, <laughs> oops. emergency room. I was gonna say uh, trip to urgent care. We're same <laughs> same thinking here. Uh, okay, so so what are we saying? Popcorn, yay. I say, I mean, I'm 
I I say yay to both of them. I say uh, they're both worth a shot. Uh, but if, if I had to pick one, um, I'd probably go with the Rice Krispie Treat. You know, now that I'm yeah, like you can get pop like good popcorn a lot. Um, it's hard to get a good Rice Krispie Treat, especially like knockoff brands. So I think right. we'll go with I'll go with the Rice Krispie Treat with little M and M's too. Yep. Um, okay, Dan, uh, it's time for Plug City. So uh, tell us what projects people can find you working on. Uh, still doing the Broomsticks and Butterbeer podcast with my lovely wife as we go chapter by chapter. And that that podcast is very PG, so it's family friendly. Not PG uh, like uh, uh, Saturday Night Fever where you just take all the rape out of Harry Potter, <laughs> no, right? Okay. No. Uh, it is actually PG, so it's safe for uh, family, the entire family. And we're about halfway through the fourth book right now. And then also still working with ProWrestling.com on uh, – my the rhino wrestling review but i'm also on uh another one of their podcasts now stf underground uh which if you uh work out the oh, abbreviation that's, <laughs> that's really good is, it equates to uh shut the fuck up which is uh pretty clever and uh you can follow me on twitter at dan rhino uh the harry potter podcast is at broomsticks b broomsticks followed by the letter b with no spaces or underscores uh, at rhino underscore wrestling, uh, and rhino is R-Y-N-O, by the way. And um, I think that's pretty much it. Awesome. Uh, thanks so much for being here. This has been Comparing Apples to Oranges. Today we decided uh, Weekend at Bernie's the second is a little bit better of a sequel than Staying Alive. Uh, I'm Mike. I am Daniel. We'll catch you next time. Bye. There you go that's some bgs for you i seriously considered playing another one of those like reggae island songs from weekend at bernie's 2 like i did last month with weekend at bernie's because those things are just so catchy but i was pretty sure dan would lose his mind if i didn't play some bgs uh because the movie was called staying alive that being said thanks for listening this was episode 62 of the podcast and i hope you enjoyed it uh, the blogger site is up to date with all past episodes of the podcast. Feel free to check that out at thecatopodcast.blogspot.com. Got some goodies for you in the show notes, so feel free to click on those. Any comments or ideas for future episodes of the podcast, send those to on Twitter. It's at thecatopodcast, all one word, or emails at catopodcast at gmail.com. The intro, outro, and music bed music was thumbs up by the great artist Leisure B. If you liked him and want to check out more of his stuff, go to humanworkshop.com. And we'll catch you next month. Bye!